Come on, let's just bow our heads right now as we go before the Lord. It's so good to be back here worshiping with you guys. Come on, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your presence. We thank you for the congregation you've assembled here today. Lord, if it's someone's first time, we ask you to make them comfortable in the midst of us, God, right now. Father, we pray that as we've been worshiping now, that as we proceed to your word, God, that you would open our hearts, God, that you would just begin to sow seeds into us, God, that we would see a harvest come from it, God. We pray right now that you would convict us where conviction is needed, that you would that you would press us in where it's needed, God, that you would push us forward where it's needed, God, as we discover more and more what it means to be driven by the Holy Spirit, driven of your spirit, God. We pray right now, God, that you be in the midst of us, that you take control. Come on, tell them, Jesus, have your way in this service. Come on, high-five your neighbor and say amen. Oh, come on, high-five them and say amen. Praise God, praise God. We're in our second week of our Driven series. Uh, week two of our Driven series, celebrating 30 years in ministry. Somebody say Amen. And we've been, Lori started us off last week uh, with a great topic of being driven by the Holy Spirit. A driven church is led by the Spirit. You're not led by emotions. You're not led by things of the world. You're not led by circumstances. Only by the Holy Spirit. Now, I want to talk to you today about how you can be driven by the purposes that God has placed on your life. Driven by the purpose God has placed on your life. So turn with me in your Bibles to the same exact scripture she read last week. And it's Matthew, the fourth chapter, verses 1 through 11. Amen. And my wife isn't here today. If you keep her in prayer, she's been pretty sick. Amen. And my daughter, she's home all tan from her vacation. She's looking like a little Dominican right now. So no offense to you Dominicans. But just keep little baby Aria in her prayers too because she don't want to get too dark. All right, Matthew chapter 4, verse 1. Verse 1. This is what Matthew records. He says, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights afterwards, he was hungry. Now, when the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And then the devil took him up into the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple. And he said unto him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge over you. And in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. And Jesus said unto him, It is written, again, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Again, the devil took him on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and all their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. And Jesus said unto him, away with you, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship only the Lord your God and him only you shall serve. And the devil left him, and behold, angels came and ministered unto him. Angels came and ministered unto him. We come upon this scripture, and in this scripture, Jesus has just been baptized by his very own cousin, John the Baptist. And Jesus, he's about to be released into ministry. He's about to be propelled 
into ministry. And Matthew says that the Holy Spirit led him up. And this phrase, led up, it has a couple of definitions throughout Scripture. And it means to to lead from a lower place into a higher place. Amen? It it means in Luke 4, 5, it's used as to, to mean to bring up a sacrifice unto God. In the book of Acts, chapter 7, this same phrase is used to describe someone who is led out and produced before someone. In Acts chapter 12, one of my favorites, this same term is used as a nautical term, meaning to set sail. And so you put all those together, and Jesus is in a place where God is setting him to sail on his journey, setting him on his destiny. He's coming out as a living sacrifice. He's coming out as a sacrifice for you and for me. This is the beginning of the road to salvation, the beginning of redemption right here. Jesus is being led of the Spirit. Somebody say he's being driven by the Holy Spirit. As I read this, I realized that Jesus is about to come into the fullness of his ministry. He spent his years as a kid doing whatever God knows. We don't know. Baba doesn't tell us, except that at 12 he was studying the Word and he was teaching already. But yet we see that Jesus is now being released by the Father. But yet the way that God releases him is into temptation and into ungodly, seemingly circumstances. God led his very own son into the wilderness, into a dry place. Can I, can I came to tell somebody today that the hardships of life are the testing and trials of the Spirit to prove you in ministry. They're not to destroy you. They are to refine you into the processes that God has for you. The road to godly promotion comes through testing. The Holy Spirit was taking Jesus from one place of lowness to a high exalted place, but it comes through trial and transition. And Jesus is being led of the Spirit into a dark wilderness. Dark meaning a seemingly tough place. Jesus was in a dry place. Oftentimes the plan of God, church, might be to take you through a dry place in order to get you to where he's guided you. Are you with me today? Sometimes God is going to have to take you through a rough place. You can't get to Black Rock Bridgeport unless you drive by PT. (laughs) That's just simple truth right there. You can't get there without going by a dry place, but God might call you to go right through it. Call you to go in there and minister to somebody and go in there and, and reach out to somebody. Some of us want to get to a place where God is calling us without going through testing and hardship. You can't desire to get to the place where God will use you and bless you without going through the testing and the trials to see if you are even able to hold those things down before God. Jesus was in a dry and empty Wilderness. He was in a place of judgment because in the, in the Old Testament, the wilderness was a place of judgment. For 40 years, Israel wandered in the wilderness. Understand the typography here, the, the typology rather, that Jesus was in the desert for 40 days as Israel was in the wilderness for 40 years. And so Jesus is redeeming what they failed at. Jesus is in a place of redemption He's in a place of trying to bring about change, and he has to go through a trial and a tribulation in order to get there. But what the Holy Spirit is doing, he's taking someone from here to here, but the road from here to here is littered with things that God will test his son with. 
If you find yourself in a spiritual wilderness church, realize that it might come through the fact that God is trying to bring you somewhere in him. It's not always because of sin. If you're going through a circumstance that is not traced back to sin, God is bringing you somewhere where he's trying to bless you. God is bringing you somewhere where he's trying to grow you. He's trying to mold you. You, Are you here today? He's trying to bring something out of you that he sees in you. Because God has a purpose and a plan for you. Not a simple plan. It's an illustrious plan. If you find yourself in a spiritual wilderness, you must realize that your obedience will get you out of it. Israel, because of their disobedience, wandered for 40 years. Jesus, because of his obedience, he got out in 40 days. Notice what the scripture says. Why was Jesus in the wilderness? He was in the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. There was no other purpose to be there but to be tempted by Satan. Church, in order to be promoted, God has to prove you. In order for you to get somewhere, God has to make sure that you're going to be able to withstand the pressure that you're going to be under. Don't you realize that every new place God takes you, it's a heavier thing that you've got to carry? Don't you realize that every place that God will bring you, it should be more responsibility on you? And to whom much is given, much more is required. And so when God brings you to somewhere and he elevates you, he will first have to put the load on you for a moment to see if you're able to carry it. And if you're not able to carry it, God will not give it to you. But bless God for Jesus because Jesus was able to carry this burden. And I want to point out three things to you about this scripture, and I'm going to dissect this scripture over the next seven weeks. But I want to point out three things about the temptation of Jesus today to you that the Holy Spirit just began to really minister to me about. And the first one is this. I love the fact that Matthew, I'm going to name him Captain Obvious for today because in Matthew chapter 4, it says that after Jesus fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, he says these prolific words, and Jesus was hungry. I mean, could you imagine? You haven't eaten 40 days. You haven't eaten 40 nights. And then, and then obviously you're going to be hungry. And Jesus is, somebody say, and Jesus is hungry. No kidding, Matthew. He hasn't eaten for a long time. No pork chops, no harokongandulas, nothing. No general sauce chicken from the corner store, nothing. No flat ham and cheese sandwiches. No moriridi, Nothing. All my Bridgeport folks say amen. No Ramirez restaurant. No, okay, not there. Amen. He's had nothing. No Cheesecake Factory. He's been in the wilderness emptying himself physically in order that he might fill up spiritually. And here's the first thing that the enemy does to him. If you're taking notes, write this down. Here's number one. Satan will always attack you when you're at your weakest. The Bible says that Jesus had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, and then the tempter came. It was at the point where Jesus had not eaten, and he was so physically weak that the enemy said, I can get him now. 1 Peter 5a, it says, be alert and sober-minded, because your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. The enemy will not come after you when you're prayed up. He will not come after you when, when, you're, when you're feeling good. He'll come after you at your worst. 
He'll come at you when, you when you haven't been in the Word and when you haven't been praying and you haven't been worshiping and you haven't been seeking God. And Satan will always wait until you're at your lowest point because he thinks that when you're weakest, he can get you. Not realizing the Bible says his grace is sufficient for you and that God's strength is made perfect in your weakness. And so Satan comes after Jesus when he is at his weakest. But a driven church will go through temptations when they're at their weakest. We will go through the hardest times as a ministry when we seem to be at our weakest. But yet God has a way of doing things great when you're at your weakest. God has a propensity to show forth greatly when you can't do for yourself and only God can. He's the God of the impossible. He's the God who can do anything when no one else can do everything. He's the God who who comes when no one else can, and he saves you just in the nick of time. That's the God that I serve. The God of provision, the God of of, of always being there, the God who will never leave me and never forsake me. And through the toughest times of my life, he's been right there to pick me up when I was falling down. That's the God you serve, and, and Satan comes after you when you're at your weakest. He comes after you when you when you're about to faint. But scripture tells us that if you faint not, you're going to reap a harvest. The tough thing about being a Christian is hearing some of the same scriptures over and over again and having to believe them every time. That's the tough thing about being saved is, oh, I heard that scripture before. I I know that one too. But you don't believe it. You're just a hearer of the word and not a doer of the word. Because you were to believe it, it would radically change your life. A driven church is on the lookout for the enemy. A driven church that has been in the making as ours has for 30 years. You understand that trial and tribulation comes, but you understand that even though all good things might come to an end, that all God things will stand as long as there is obedience to God. That when the enemy comes, that he'll come wave after wave. And this church is seeing good days and we've seen bad days. We've seen days where we had 10 members and 2 members and 10 members again and 20 members. And we've seen days where we had nothing. We didn't have a building, didn't have a sound system, didn't have a pulpit. But God, in the midst of it, in our weakest moments, sustained us. Took us through a few wildernesses. Took us through a couple of dark places. And even though the enemy came at our weakest, God showed up at his strongest. There's too many Christians in our area closing down shop at the wrong time. You're just one preaching away from a blessing. Too many pastors closing down and running away. You're one sermon away from a breakthrough. Too many Christians giving up and you are one worship away from getting that thing that God's called you to. Too many people giving up and giving into sin and you're inconsistent in your walk with God. Too many leaders inconsistent in what you do and you're one day away from the blessing of God. But we give in because we're not driven. We're led away instead of being led up. And we let down rather than let God elevate us. To be driven, to be driven of the Holy Spirit means to see the big vision, the big purpose that God has given you. Too many churches closing down before God can use them. Not wanting to go through a time of testing. Following God might lead you through some dark times, but thank God that Jesus is the light. Following God might take you to dry places, but thank God the Holy Spirit is the living water of life. Following God might take you to some places where you hunger, but God is the bread of life through his son Jesus. Thank God for provision in times of fasting and prayer. A driven church understands that the Holy Spirit will lead you to places when you are at your weakest. 
Because we understand that if you faint not, you will reap a harvest. I believe that this church, in the 30th year of our ministry, God is positioning us. He is putting us right where he wants us. 30 is the number of release. David took the throne at 30. Joseph took over Egypt at 30. Jesus' ministry began at 30. He was betrayed for 30 pieces of silver because 30 is the number of release and positioning. And God is saying, I am releasing some things and I am positioning some people in this place today. Because 30 symbolizes that God is ready to use. There's come to a fullness of maturity and God is about to usher something in. And you got, you got to understand that, that, that the Holy Spirit will bring you through a final stage of testing. I don't know about you, but I, I realize that we're in our final stages of testing before God just changes our situation. I'm in, the, I'm in the final stages. I know that as a pastor, that in the ministry, I can sense it in my spirit. We're in the final stages before God releases us to do what he's called us to do. I believe there will be an outpouring of the Holy Spirit over this city, over surrounding cities. I believe there will be a harvest of souls, the likes of which you've not seen. I believe that God has called us to become soul winners. I believe that God has called us for a reason, a purpose, and a destination in your life. And you've got to believe it because if you don't, you're living your life for absolutely nothing. There's a greater purpose besides yourself. There's a greater purpose besides what you can see. There's a time of release that is coming. Number one, the enemy always comes at your weakest point. Here's number two. The enemy and his attacks are evidence of the anointing over your life. Oftentimes you think that the devil's attacking you because he doesn't like you or rather because he hates you. No, he doesn't hate you. He hates the anointing that is on your life. It's so sad that the devil has more vision than you do. He sees more of God in you than you see in yourself. The devil is able to see more of what God can do with you rather than what you can see what God can do with you. And you sit down and we get lazy as Christians and we don't seek God and we don't chase after God and we don't do what God called us to do and we keep on falling to the wayside because you don't understand the scariest thing to the devil is people whose lives come to completion in Christ. Satan is not afraid of nothing except people who walk in the destiny God has given them. Nothing scares the devil more than a church who fulfills the purpose in which God created them for. Nothing scares them more than a young man or a young woman or a young couple who's walking in the will of God and will not turn to the left and will not turn to the right. He'll throw everything at you. He'll throw the house at you. He'll throw the farm at you. He'll throw problems and broken down cars and he'll throw extra babies in your path. He'll throw whatever. He'll throw anything at you. But when you're focused on God and you're focused on what God has given you and you're saying, I'm driven to a purpose. I'm not going to go left. I'm not going to go right. I'm going to stay in the will of God. I'm going to stay right here. Driven people don't fall to the left or to the right. The purpose of God in your life should, should stand daily, not when you feel like it. Either you believe that you are called or you don't. There's coming a day where you're either going to step on or step off. Either you believe in what God has called you to do or you don't. Either you will pick up your cross and walk or you won't. But Jesus said this, any man who would follow me would have to pick up his cross and deny himself. It's so sad that the enemy sees more of your future than you do. It's time you realize that most of the issues you face are not about you. 
One of my favorite descriptions of this, this fact in, in life is in the story where Jesus is sleeping on the boat and, and the big storm breaks out and all the apostles begin to get fearful and afraid and they're screaming and shouting and they're like, oh my God, we're going to die. And they wake up Jesus and they're like, oh my God, you didn't even care about us. We were going to die. And Jesus is like, dude, relax. He gets up and he calms the storm. He looks back and says, oh ye of little faith. And I read that scripture and I realize that the storm was not about the apostles. The storm was designed to hinder the sleep and the rest of Jesus. And there's some people <laughs> in your walk with God, you think it's about, what's that song? You're so, you're so whatever, you think this song's about you. You're so vain, you probably think this song is about you. You're vain enough to think that this problem in your life is about you. Can I tell someone, you are an extra in God's story. You are not the main character. The problems you face are not against you. They're against your destiny. They're against Satan don't care about you. He cares about the hundred people you're going to save. He's not worried about you. It's not that he hates you. He knows that through you, God is trying to birth something out of you. So he will do whatever he can to keep it from coming. Some of you are on spiritual birth control. Whatever. I'm going to leave that alone. That's for a different sermon. That's for a women's conference. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Spiritual birth control. (laughs) Some of you think that you don't matter in the church. We buy into the lie that because we don't volunteer, because we don't serve, because we don't this, because we don't that, that we're not that important to the church. Some of you do serve and still think you're not that important to the church. You see, I had this Mazda... My, my, last, my last car, or my Mazda 6, I had it for about, I don't even know, seven, eight years, maybe more. And I loved that car. And it was blue, and I called it Beast, and, and he was my best friend. And, but, but I went to VIP in, in uh, the, the oil change place, and they messed up my engine. And then when they messed up my engine, I made them replace it. So they replaced my engine. But after that, they messed up my catalytic converter somehow. I, I don't know how, but ever since then, my catalytic converter was messed up. And so I did what any good Puerto Rican would do. I called my first mechanic friend, and I called Emma. And I was like, Emma, will this affect my car? He was like, no, it'll just affect your gas mileage and stuff like that after a while. I'm like, cool, gas mileage, who cares about that? <laughs> I'm fine, don't need gas mileage. How much is it to replace? It was like something like $2,000 because it made of platinum or some bull like that. I'm like, what? Yep, gas mileage out the door, I don't even care. After a couple of years, though, I had to register my car, and I couldn't register my car because I had an emission problem because they wouldn't even test my car because I had a bad cat converter. And all the people who know a little bit about cars are like, oh, yeah, that's right, that's right. And so I tried cheating the system. I tried everything, and nothing would really work. I tried paying somebody off. I mean, I was going to do whatever it took, but I could not get it registered. And then I, I, I forgot how I got it registered, but then the problem pops up again. And then we tried getting the cat converter, and it was the wrong one. And then we tried getting this, and that was the wrong one. And, 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 and in the end, it was the reason why I got rid of my car. It started off as nothing because, hear me now, it was a non-moving part. It was a non-moving member of my car. But in the end, it was the reason I had to sell it out. And many churches have too many non-moving members who are the reason in the end when the church sells out. Non-functioning parts, just extra gas mileage in the place. But God's called you to be a healthy, fixed part of the body of Christ. 
The Bible clearly says that he's given each member a job to do. Each member of the body has a function. And, and you think that because you're under attack of the enemy, that it is proof that God can't use you or won't use you because you're under a mindset of condemnation. But I came to preach this word today to somebody today that the attack of the enemy is simply the evidence of your anointing. You, you've been bought into the lie that God don't want to use you because all the hell in your life. But I came to tell you that's the very reason why God wants to use you. It's the fires of life that will propel you into the work of God. It is the trials and tribulations you face at home, in your marriage, in your life, with your kids, in your job, in your anointing that will help you flourish to help others. It is the purpose and the process of God to bring you through tough times. To bring you through the times where, where, where you don't think you can do it on your own and you shouldn't because God is there with you. Tell somebody next to you, the attack is proof of your anointing. The attack is proof of your anointing. You think that God has forgotten about you, and God's like, no, I have not forgotten about you. I'm here right with you. I am pressing you forward. I am moving you forward. The problems you face are not about you. They're about the people that God has called you to impact. The apathy you face is not about you. It's about Satan doing everything he can in your life to get you to not reach out to others the way God has called you to. The, 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 the problems with sin that you have is Satan's plan to keep you under condemnation so that you will not work into the freedom of Christ Jesus for others' lives. For how can you reach out to others if you yourself are in sin? These are the lies and the ploys and the plots of the enemy. And Satan will work every angle to get you to believe that you are not called. But young men, you are called. Young women, you are called by God. Old women, old men, you're called too. God has called you. And just because you're going through a tough time, it's not because God hates you or God's forgotten about you. You're in a time of proving and testing. You cannot fail now. Could you imagine the gold in the shop of a goldsmith? Don't take me out of this urn. It's too hot in here. Oh, take me out of here. But the, the, the medalist knows that the actual fire will bring the imperfections to the top. That he might remove them. And some of you, you're in the fire, and you're like, God, I don't know why I have to go through this, and God, I don't know why. And you're, on, you're all over your life and just complaining to all your friends, and my life is this, and my life is that. Just be quiet and endure the testing. Endure the trial. Because the fact of the matter is, is that when you come out, you're going to be stronger than ever. Isn't it amazing how fire can melt the metal down, but in the end it makes it stronger? God will break you down before he builds you back up. If he took you as you are, you would get all the glory. He's got to do something where he has his fingerprint on your life. It's time to realize the issues you face are not about you. Purpose will put a target on your back. Purpose will make people hate you. Purpose will make people despise you. Destiny will make people lie on you, trash your name. Purpose will make people gossip about you and mistreat you. People are afraid of those who have purpose. That's why Saul hated David. That's why Joseph's brothers hated him because they saw that he had a destiny and he had a dream. Every baby born to the world comes with birthing pains because nothing good comes without pain. Every child. My wife went through 26 hours of labor with my little daughter. 26 hours of labor, 10 minutes of pushing. Because once you've endured and it's time to release it, God releases. 
Are you understanding that, that you're in the process? Some of you have already given, you're here, but you've given up. You're here, but your heart is empty. You're here, but your mind is gone. You're here, but, but you've already given up on the purposes of God for your life. And you're here out of routine and out of religion, but God says, no, Satan attacks those whose destiny he is afraid to watch come to completion. He attacks those who he knows that God will use. If you would just stay in God, stay in the presence of God, church. Stay prayed up. The Bible says in Psalm chapter 91, he that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide in the shadow of the Almighty. And I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge, my rock, my God in whom will I trust. I love that scripture because it says I will rest under the shadow of the Almighty. And I, one thing I know about shadows is according to the time of day, shadows change and shadows shift. And what that, that tells me, it doesn't mean I'm going to stay stagnant and sleeping in God's presence. It means that I have to move and walk as the day changes. I will have to follow the shadow of God and God will keep me moving. And the shadow here, will move. as my shadow moves, I'm going to have to stay in God's shadow and stay with God. And it's going to cause me to pray. It's going to cause me to fast. It's going to cause me to read my word because I'm going to stay in the shadow of God. A driven church understands that Satan attacks those who have an anointing. The attack is only evidence of the purpose God has in your life. If your life is going 100% perfectly fine, I don't know what to tell you. This is not for you today. But if you're going through some hell, some anxieties, depression, the enemy is coming after you in every single way. I want to encourage you that it is only a sign that God has a purpose for you. Here's number three and my last point. Satan will always author doubt in your life. Satan authors doubt into your life so that you might compromise. I'll prove it to you. Let, 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 me, let me read this to you. The Bible says in Matthew 4 verse 3, when the tempter came to him, he said this, if you are the son of God. If you are. He's trying to get Jesus to prove himself or question himself. If he proves himself, he falls into temptation. If he questions himself, he falls into sin. Are you hearing this today? Satan will always try to get you to doubt what God said. Realize that in the book of Genesis, this is how Satan got Eve. He said, did God say you would die? This is the plan of Satan. If he can't get you through the attack, he will get you through doubting God and doubting your purpose and doubting what God has called you to do. You'll be at a point in your life where you were on fire for God and now you're like, did God call me to this church? Did God put me in position? Did God say this about my husband or wife? Did God say he would do this about my family? And at one point, you were confident of your healing. You were confident of God's will in your life. But now you're like, did God say that's how the enemy gets you. He puts doubt into your life. And the doubt is so that you will compromise. When he approached Eve, he said, did God say? He tries to put doubt where there was once confidence. He tries to make you double think what God said. He tries to make you think, did God call me? Am I worthy of this? Can I make this happen? Is this church for me? Is this marriage for me? Do I like this worship team? Do I like that short, chubby pastor? Do I like the way he has no, he don't got an offering table and all. He don't got a cross in the church. Do I get called here? He don't got a communion table. He don't got, they don't got nothing. I don't know, did God call me? That's how the devil works in your life. I, lo I love, 
Not that I love it, but I just find it funny. He never shouts. He always whispers, did God say that? Because he, he ain't that dumb to shout what God's called you to. But he'll try to whisper to you and say, did, Renati, did God tell you to? I don't know if he did. Ain't nothing worse than, you ever had a great idea and you were all psyched up? Oh, my God, this is the greatest idea ever. Oh, my God, greatness is coming from me right now. And usually that happens at about like 4 in the morning. You wake up like, idea. And then you text somebody in the morning and they're like, they just put K, I-D-K. We can talk later. You're just like, Really? And suddenly, all the wind is out of your sails. Like, it's like the devil vacuum. He just sucks the wind out of your sails. That's how the devil works. He'll even use people to discourage you. Husbands, wives, be careful you don't feed off of discontent. Be careful that you don't feed off of that. Be careful that you don't fall into the trap. One, you got to be strong and say, no, 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 God's called us. Be careful of the traps of the enemy. It's so easy. It's so easy to be like Samson and Delilah. Just sitting there falling into temptation, falling into the evil of the enemy because you are just sitting in a place of weakness. But God says, no, I've called you to be stronger. I've called you to be driven and Satan will come and he would try to drop. And he doesn't drop a lot. He drops a little bit. I love how my dad always told me. He said, Louis, or he called me Felipe, my middle name. Don't ever repeat that. He said, Felipe, listen. He said, rat poison is 99.9% edible. It's that 0.01% of strychnine that will kill you. And he said, Louis, or Felipe, <clears throat> the lies of the devil are no different in your life. I was like, what do you mean, Dad? And he, he was like this. He said, look at the sentence, did God call you? Look at this sentence, did God call you? There's only two things wrong with that sentence. It's the did and the question mark. And most of what he said is true, God called you. He just added a did in front of it. He said, did God call you? And that's what Satan does. He adds a little bit of lie with a lot of truth. And he gets us to fall, and he gets us to sin, and he gets us to walk away from God. And maybe you don't walk away from God, but many of us have walked away from purpose. You're still in God, but you've walked away from purpose because you're lost in your own circumstances. But Jesus... Thank God for Jesus. He was so strong. And he endured the first temptation where he said, turn these stones into bread. And he's like, no, you can't tempt the Lord your God. What are you doing? He said, man shall not eat by bread alone. And then the second temptation, he takes him to a high place of the, of the temple. And he's like, if you're the son of God, why don't you jump off? Because the Bible says angels will catch you. And the word of God says that. And he's like, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. And in the last one, he says, he says well, why don't you worship me? And that one, he didn't question who he was. He just said, well, worship me instead. And Jesus said, you shall only worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And there's something I want, I want to tell you. There's, there's something I want to tell you about this whole picture of Jesus in the wilderness. You see, first of all, I told you that Satan comes when you're weak. The second thing I told you was, was, that, was that Satan... His attack is evidence of your anointing. And the third thing I said is that he causes doubt so that you walk away from God. But the fourth thing that I haven't even have in my notes is that the reason Jesus went into the wilderness is because there was a purpose. 
and, and I'll, I'll explain the purpose in a second, but I, I need to tell somebody today that the place you're in, that there's a purpose. There's some married couples here today, you're, you're going through hell, but there's a purpose behind the hell. There's some, there's some people, you're just struggling in your faith that God's some leaders here, you're struggling in your walk, but there's a purpose behind the test. I, I love how Jesus went into the wilderness because Jesus was there for a purpose, a specific design and reason. You see, the first time we read of the wilderness in Scripture is Adam, when Adam sinned and he ate of the fruit that he should not have eaten of, he was cast into the wilderness. And so Adam sins and loses paradise for us all. But Jesus comes, denies his appetite, in order to reclaim paradise for us all. And so Jesus, he is in the wilderness in order to reclaim what man has lost through our weakness and through our frailty. And I came to tell someone today that in this time of testing and trial that God is giving you the ability to reclaim some things in your life. There's some people here that your parents messed up some things spiritually in your family and God says you can reclaim it through a time of testing and trial. You can reclaim it if you prove yourself. And Jesus is reclaiming. And I thought the Holy Spirit talked to me this week. He's like, Lewis, I've called you to reclaim Bridgeport street by street. Reclaim the west side and reclaim PT and reclaim the ghetto and reclaim everything. Because I called you and I purposed you. And if this church will show himself to be willing to go where God has called you, he will make you to reclaim some souls and to reclaim the people in your family who are lost. The people who are in drug addiction and all manner of mess who reclaim your very marriage if you let them. Jesus went to reclaim that which man had lost. Notice the first godly act he does outside of Cana, besides the turning the water into wine, his first act he does is an act of sacrifice. It's an act of sacrifice. And that sacrifice is that he would reclaim. Where Adam failed, Jesus, as Scripture calls him the second Adam, he would succeed. And if you look at the temptations of Jesus, what's the first one? He says, if you are the Son of God, turn these stones into bread. In other words, he wants him to eat another forbidden fruit, so to speak. He tries to get Jesus to fall through his appetite the same exact way Adam fell. If you notice the second temptation, he says, come to this high place and, and, and I want you to jump down. And when I, when I read that, I think of the fall of Satan. Jesus, rather, Satan wants Jesus to fall like he did into temptation, into pride. Well, I am the son of God. I can do this. Jump off. And then the third temptation of Jesus, the third temptation of Jesus is that Satan wants Jesus to worship him, which is why Satan fell in the first place. Maybe you're missing this so far. I'll break it down for you. The first temptation is giving in to worldly desires, the lust of the flesh, caring more about the things of this world rather than the things of God. You, you look at the test of life, you look at the wilderness and say, it's not worth it here. Just to the left, there's a nice place. It might be called Sodom and Gomorrah, but you wouldn't even care. You just see the light, you see the niceness of it, and you don't want to go through hard times. And we give in to the lust of the flesh and the desires of this world. We work so hard for the things we have. We work so hard for everything in our lives, and yet everything in our lives will one day be gone in an instant. And we abandon purpose for things of this world. 
The second one where Satan wanted Jesus to jump is, is, is really, it's really God saying to you, he's like, listen, you can, you can, if you want, leave my will, but it will take you nowhere good. You can't keep on falling from the place where God is trying to rise you to. You can't keep on going away from God. God said, I, I, I feel like we're entering a season where people need to be more stable in God. Be more grounded in Jesus. Or sold out for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lastly, lastly, Satan says, well, since you won't jump and you won't eat, I mean, this guy's hardcore. Will you just worship me? And this is the biggest problem in the church because folks don't realize it. We worship the devil by worshiping things of this world. You might say, Pastor, I don't worship nothing. If your job is more important than God, that's an idol. If you're that kind of person who somebody puts your purse on the floor and you start screaming because it's Michael Kors, you have an idol in your life. If the first thing you look at in the morning is text messages from people or Facebook, you've got a problem in your life because it should be God. And we say, oh, pastor, that's kind of far-fetched and that's too deep for me. The problem is that we're so used to stimming the surface, we don't know how to be deep with God. And there's too many folks in here who you, you're so compromised. I love what Stephen said. He talked about withholding nothing. The story of Elisha where he went back and he burned the oxen and he burned the plow because he said, I got nothing left. I got nothing left. I got nothing left to go back to. I just want to see God move. I'm just going to walk in the destiny God has given me. I'll close it with this. It's, it's like that, that guy who, who would meet a new girl. He was talking to some other girl, but this new girl was prettier and so he just, he just says, okay, I'll put this girl in my back pocket in case this girl doesn't work out. And a lot of you have an extra life in your back pocket that doesn't have to do with God. And whatever's in your back pocket, God's saying, just empty that out. Because I want to be first in your life. I want to be first in your life. Because a driven church is driven by people who understand that you will go through tough times. You will go through temptations. You will go through times of trial. You will go through sexual temptations. You will go through worldly temptations. You will go through temptations to cheat, to lie, to steal, to gossip. But if you focus on God and you speak the word like Jesus did, God will strengthen you. And God will work on you. And if you hold the faith and you don't keep on having doubt, and you realize that you are anointed no matter what the enemy says. And you realize that the, that the enemy is attacking you at your weakest point. But again, do you realize that when Satan came to tempt Jesus, it was at the point where it was almost over? That temptation didn't even last a day. Because the Bible says that on the 40th day is when the devil came. His entire ordeal was 40 days long. But when he endured... Bible says angels came down to minister unto him. And some of you, you're enduring, endure just a little while longer. But James chapter 1 verse 3 says this, that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Come on, stand with me this early afternoon here today. Come on, every head bowed, every eye closed. Come on, he's right here in the midst of us. 
He's right here in the midst of us. Come on, every head bowed, every eye closed. Father, you see every heart. You see every person, every struggle, every trial, every tribulation in this place today. Lord, when you gave your son Jesus, you withheld nothing from us, God. You gave the best of what you had. So in the next few moments, God, as we pray, I ask you, Father, to touch every heart, to open up wide, that we would not withhold anything from you, God. That we would come to understanding, God, that the problems we endure are proof positive that you have called us, that it is not a problem, it is because of our purpose, God, that we are evidence, that we are, we are anointed and called for this time, God, that you are releasing and appointing, God, that you are in the midst right now. You've not abandoned, you've not forgotten us, God. Come on, with every head bowed, every eye closed. Is there anyone today, you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, but you want to make that commitment right now. You're saying, Pastor, I've never prayed that prayer, or maybe I have, but I've fallen away. But I want to know Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. Come on, if that's you, lift your hand as high as you can. I got one already, and two, come on. You're lifting your hand as high as you can. Say, Pastor, I want to see God move in my life. Maybe you're here today, and you feel like you've been falling away. You've not been doing what you have to do. But I want to pray a prayer over your life that God would drive you, that you will allow the Holy Spirit to lead you. Is there anyone today who you say, Pastor, I want to surrender everything. I want to let God release in my life. Come on, lift your hand as high as you can. Come on, come on. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I want God to release into my life. I don't want to withhold anything from God. I want to be sold out for the gospel. I want to be sold out for Jesus Christ. Come on, you're lifting your hand as high as you can. Come on, his hands going over all over this place. Come on, come on, come on. We're withholding nothing. Come on, come on. You're right here with us today. He doesn't want to withhold nothing from you. Come on, I want you to pray this prayer with boldness and authority. Dear Heavenly Father, I surrender everything in my life. Change me, Lord, from the inside out. Work in me, because I believe that your son Jesus, he died on the cross for me. He laid down his life for me, for the forgiveness of my sins. And I believe that he rose on the third day. He is sitting on the right hand of God the Father. And I want to walk with you, Jesus. Come on, somebody shout all the days of my life. Father, I pray right now, every person who prayed that prayer, that you would open their hearts, you would flood right in, in the name of Jesus. We come against every lie of the enemy, every work of Satan in this place right now. Come on, I dare you begin to pray right now and begin to cry out to God. Come on, strongholds are coming down this place. Come on, strongholds coming down right now.